This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. Thank you, as ever, to Phoebe Squared for the last three hours of maps and rock and tunes. I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and in the virtual studio tonight, I'm joined once more by sidekick Sally Christie. Hello, Paul. And fist fury flick forward. <laughs> I knew you'd go with that. I was calling myself that the other night. (laughs) Such a good name. (laughs) Furious Fist. What a week it's been as we here in Melbourne achieve our 10th, 10 to to quote gross point blank, 10 consecutive days of zero coronavirus infections and zero deaths. Restrictions are starting to be lifted, which includes cinemas, which have been allowed to reopen from today with a restriction of 20 patrons per session, with a possible increase to follow later in the month if things keep going so well. Which means that our run of weekly ISO specials, spotlighting fantastic films from various eras, genres, nations and filmmakers that you can stream or rent in your very own homes, might be coming to an end in the next few weeks. But never fear, we've we've still got your home viewing covered. Over these last seven months of ISO specials, we've spotlighted eras, movements, film directors, an editor, even a choreographer, but somehow we've never focused on a movie star until now. We thought it fitting to spotlight a performer who is not only one of the biggest names in the history of cinema, but in the history of popular culture, Bruce Lee. Tonight, we'll look at his first three films as a martial arts megastar. First, Low Way's 1971 phenomenon, The Big Boss. Then Lee Lee reunites with Lo Wei for 1972's Fist of Fury. And finally, Lee steps behind the camera for his first and only completed feature as a writer-director, 1973's Way of the Dragon. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So now it is time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. First, America have a new president, and he's not an embarrassing orange white supremacist maniac. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Round of applause, everybody. <laughs> yes, we were delighted to wake up over the weekend to that rare beast. A good news story in 2020, as Democratic nominee Joe Biden was elected the 46th president of the United States, with Kamala Harris, the first woman and woman of color, to be elected vice president. Of course, the real work for them is only just beginning. But on behalf of Primal Screen, we congratulate President Biden and Vice President Harris and wish them well. 
Meanwhile, the current lame duck idiot-in-chief is refusing to concede, playing golf as his lackey's press conference, announced as being at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia, wound up being held in the parking lot of a landscaping company of the same name, which stood between a crematorium and a sex shop. And if you can write a better epitaph for four years of wretched, hateful, calamitous, moronic presidency, you are wrong. And if you're wondering why I'm talking politics instead of film, it's because this weekend's news has, at last, been better than any movie we've watched. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Paul. I feel like that's the closest I'm going to get to, like, John Stewart or (laughs) John Oliver or something. Um, Meanwhile, as we mentioned earlier, Thanks to the amazing work of all Victorians in suppressing the coronavirus, cinemas have been given the green light to reopen for only the second time since March. Like the brief June reopening, venues will be only limited to 20 people per session with rigorous co- or per venue with rigorous COVID-safe protocols in place. While Villages Coburg Drive-In and Lido's Rooftop Cinema have been uh, open, they reopened at the start of the month, Carlton Cinema Nova wasted no time in reopening today, while the Lido opens tomorrow, Lido on the Classic open tomorrow, and Village, Hoyts and Palace venues, yes, that includes our favourite cinema, the Astor Theatre, will reopen from Thursday. And then IMAX Melbourne will reopen on the 19th. If the zeros continue, it's being rumoured that come from November 22nd, we might see those capacity restrictions lifted to 100 with the same protocols in place, but we shall see. Now, after that torrent of good news, uh, listeners, before we get into the films tonight, here are some things you may or may not know about Bruce Lee. I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now, you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Like that, you see? I see. I get the idea. Uh Bruce Lee was born Lee Jin Fan in San Francisco to a Cantonese father and a Eurasian mother on November 27th, 1940 making this month the 80th anniversary of his birth. Uh, His parents returned to their home of Hong Kong when he was three months old. Being the son of a Cantonese opera star, Lee actually grew up as a working child actor and uh, throughout his teens even, appearing in 20 films before his 20th birthday. After getting into a lot of fights as a boy, his parents enrolled him into Wing Chun Kung Fu classes, taught by the famed Grandmaster Ip Man who's had a number of films based on his own life, including the Man Trilogy and uh, Wong Kar Wai's The Grandmaster, who defiantly taught this uh, the ancient martial art to this mixed-race boy, much to the consternation of the Chinese martial arts establishment, who refused to share their teachings with non-Asians. After reportedly getting into a scrape with the scion of a triad gang family and in too much frequent trouble with the police, at the age of 19, Lee was sent by his parents to live with relatives in San Francisco. He spent the next 12 years from 1959 to 1971 living and studying on the West Coast of America, building his reputation, teaching Wing Chun, developing his own evolution of this art called Yeet Kune Do, um, which is uh, otherwise known as a way of the intercepting fist, and training, making, and influencing friends in Hollywood before landing the role of Kato, the karate-kicking partner of TV superhero The Green Hornet. It only lasted one season and a three-episode guest shot on another TV superhero show, Batman, and Lee found Hollywood's doors, at least to uh, starring roles, very much closed 
although he continued to train actors and work as a fight choreographer on such films as 1969's Marlowe, in which he also had a small role, and, of course, trained Sharon Tate for 1968's The Wrecking Crew, as depicted in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In the early 1970s, Lee pitched a show called The Warrior to Warner Brothers, which would be an Eastern Western following a Kung Fu master across the Wild West getting into adventures. The pitch was unsuccessful, but the very next year, Warner's debuted a little series called Kung Fu, uh, in which the very white non-martial artist David Carradine played Kane, a Kung Fu master we followed across the Wild West getting into adventures. Lee received no credit for the concept, which the studio insisted was a similar project they had in development simultaneously. But it also seemed to be a reaction to their reticence to greenlight a primetime show with an Asian lead. This show would finally get made 48 years later in 2019 by a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, Cinemax, as the show Warrior, uh, executive produced by Lee's daughter Shannon and frequent Fast and Furious franchise director Justin Lin. And I've heard it's very good. Upon the urging of Hollywood friends like James Coburn, Fred Weintraub, and Sterling Siliphant, Lee sought out starring roles in the newly resurgent Hong Kong film industry, with the idea of becoming an action superstar there and bringing that back to the US, which of course did occur, as all three films we'll be looking at tonight, The Big Boss, Fist of Fury, and The Way of the Dragon, all made up to 1,000 times their budget in global box office, and saw Bruce Lee make a triumphant return to Hollywood through Warner Brothers, no less, with the mega-hit Enter the Dragon, widely considered the most influential martial arts film ever made. Do you have a favourite Bruce Lee anecdote I've not mentioned here? Or... <laughs> no, that was that was pretty good, Paul. That's very good. <laughs> thank, thank you. That's very good. That's very interesting. Uh, now, please join us on the couch for our first film of the evening. <laughs> Introducing the incredible heroics of Bruce Lee. Every limb of his body is a lethal weapon against an army of men, the most sensual of women, and the most savage of beasts. The Big Boss from 1971 was the first role as a martial arts star for Bruce Lee and the 22nd film directed by Lo Wei. Chen, Bruce Lee, is a city boy who moves with his cousins to work at an ice factory. When he... He does this with a family promise never to get involved in any fight. However, when members of his family begin disappearing under the, uh, after meeting the management of the factory, the resulting mystery and pressures force him to break that vow and take on the villainy of the big boss. Flick, how did you appreciate this uh, innovative approach to workplace relations? <laughs> I found it inspirational, Paul. <laughs> I took notes. <laughs> Um, oh, I, I, this is my favourite, actually, of the night. I loved this film. I got really into it. Um, I watched it on Friday night and, um, yeah, it's a great little setup. Um, I thought that um, I just really liked his, I know that it's, he's kind of typecast a bit as this kind of um, naive, um, you know, young man who comes in and, you know, in most of his films he really has to be pushed to violence and then he's kind of unleashed like this weapon. Um, but this is one of the more violent um, films of the of the three. Um, at least there's a lot of red paint involved, which um, <laughs> I found found pretty hilarious. But um, I just really liked it. I liked the um, I liked the whole setup of the the ice factory. There's a lot of um, 
wholesome kind of characters and um, the, the whole idea of the big boss and the bravado and, and spectacle around the fights was just so well laid out. But I think more than anything, um, and I, I think this comes through all three films that we're going to be talking about, but the opening credits are exceptional. And um, so I know we use, use this word on this show, but iconic, like really <laughs> iconic. And you just see it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And um, it's fantastic to have these films from the 70s and just the, um, I, do, I, I did notice actually the music, one small thing. We are trying to work out there's a scene in which um, uh, I think it's when you get to the big boss's um, mansion mm. and I was trying to work out the music of it and it turns out it's Pink Floyd, but it's just been ripped. <laughs> I was, when yeah. I was watching it so, as well, Flick, I was like, yeah. I know, I know this music. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting because so, I was having the same thing. Yeah. yeah. We, so, and so I was like, that doesn't make sense because the music came out like two, two or three years after the film got made. So how does this even work? So it was actually re-released with this new music oh. on it. So, um, yeah, that's a fun little fact. Um, uh, yeah, it was kind of a bit bizarre, but the music works so well in The Big Boss. Like I, I think it, it really, um, they use it as a character in itself where it's kind of this, um, you know, depending on the mood, the music really does kind of guide you through the scene. Um the fights are really fun, uh, of course, uh, but um, no, I just really enjoyed it. Also, just a, a side note, with um, the camera angles in this, again, they're so inventive and there were so many um, little moments in which they kind of allow for this pause and there's so many films in which there's um, a spectacle of, you know, like in sci-fis where you have, um, you know, the Spielberg, uh, what is it called? The Spielberg face where it's just like you have the reaction The low shot. dolly in. Yeah, and, face, where, yeah, yeah. And you have this kind of like scene that's set up as the spectacle within it. And they do it through through these like beautiful little like either smash zooms or they'll have like this beautiful like twirling camera as they're fighting and, you know, last week we were talking all about choreography and I just think it's really beautiful going from that to going into these fighting films and you can see the same poeticism at work um, through the camera movement. So, I, um, yeah, I, tell you, I took great joy in this. Easily my favourite of the week. Wow. It's, I, I just say it's interesting that we – it's almost like we're talking about two, choreogra- two director choreographers in a row. Yeah. Because, yeah, because uh, though it's not dance, like it's – yeah, he um, was the action director for most of his films. Yeah, I um, all right. Don't don't fire me from the show, everyone. But up until this week, I had never watched a Bruce Lee movie. Fantastic! <laughs> is, I know, and um, it was the best week of my life, and <laughs> I feel like I've wasted my entire life up until now not watching Bruce Lee movies all the time because that was <laughs> the best. It's so much fun, aren't they? Like, I, it feels like a game that you're watching. It was so the big, my favorite was Fifth of Fury, but obviously we'll get into that next. But oh my God, so good. I, um, okay. So for one, his acting's bloody great. He is, it was an excellent actor as well. At the, with the big boss, same with you, Flick. I loved the story of it and I really loved the pacing. Um, one thing I think with all three of these films is I kind of had the, I don't know, the assumption that they would be samey in a way, but they're all really different and and the pacing of all three of these films is really different and I really enjoyed the kind of slow setup to this and that kind of restraint that he had with these little, 
you know, his little jasmine thing that his mum had given him and he shouldn't fight. Um, and how, yeah, he, he kind of is unleashed at the end. It was, oh God, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. I just, <laughs> I just love them so much. <laughs> How good was the little um the little nursery weird little nursery, nursery rhyme jingle rhyme. every time the jade necklace comes out? <laughs> so many many good things in this film. Like the scene at the end with the big final fight where he just rocks up and he's eating chips and the big <laughs> bird cage and stuff. And I actually was just cheering at the end. I was sitting on the couch just like, yes, get him, Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah. It's fair. I, I yeah, I really sincerely feel like I've wasted my life up until this point. So thanks, everyone, for picking a Bruce We are more than happy for allowing you that opportunity. I I know, like, we're, one reason we're doing all these three, because they're all available on SBS On Demand, but I will confess, about three months ago, I mean, the minute it was released, I wanted it. The Criterion Collection um, released this amazing box set that's, like, the most definitive Bruce Lee box set you will ever see like it's all like it's these three films plus enter the dragon plus game of death plus game of death 2 like even the and then it's got like things like the isolated it's got a uh, game of death redux which is the 39 minutes of game of death that he directed like extrapolated and made into its own thing um yeah it's got like so many features and so I i relish the chance I didn't realise the um that his actual acting career in martial arts uh, cinema was so short. I, you know, obviously I'm aware of Bruce Lee and the impact he's had and who he is, but I yeah I wasn't aware that it was um it was so short lived his mm. career in sort of um mainstream martial arts cinema. Yeah, well, he was essentially for less than three years. Yeah, that he was alive. Same. Mm. Um, it's crazy. Um, and to have that impact in that time is extraordinary. Like the fact that even though, I mean, you're in film, Sally, of course, but so you know of him, but like every, everyone knows Bruce Lee. Yeah, exactly. Even if you're not familiar with his work. Like as, so... as a child, it's like you're aware. Well, yeah. I was definitely aware of who Bruce Lee was as a child growing up and um, Event of the Dragon and everything. It was, he's, he's there. He's a pop culture figure. He's, he's the Elvis Presley Frank Sinatra of martial arts. Yes. Like, yeah. Everyone knows who he is. Yep. Like you don't need to explain who Bruce Lee is mm. to somebody. And which is amazing because, you know, this is nearly 50 years ago now. Mm. Um, he, he um, yeah, I I dug the hell out of this. I Of these films, I'd only seen The Big Boss before and it was a very long time ago during the 90s on SBS at some point. So my memory of it was really fuzzy. I've seen Enter the Dragon numerous times, but that's really the only one I'm massively familiar with. And like you two, I, I enjoyed the heck out of this. Um, I love the story. I really yeah, got the into story the story. is so good. Like so, so good. Yeah, it's such Absolutely a great way to it. introduce mm. an actor to an audience. Like it's this kind of, he's this young guy, gets he's, he's just a working stiff, who admittedly with supernatural skills. But, <laughs> but you know, he's just trying to get along and he finds, you know, there's some there's some industrial unrest and and it, it is it is like an industrial rela- relations drama mm-hmm. for a little while you know yeah for a lo- for a, like quite a long point of the film it's a really sort of long build up that I didn't expect from a Bruce Lee movie at all yeah and then suddenly it goes I mean the bit where he finally breaks his vow uh, that's one of the best build and releases I've mm. seen in a film in years like I audibly cheered. When when the the thing happened and and he was like right I'm gonna fight like that was just the, yeah. there's just an explosion of emotion. You know what's you know what's fascinating about him? He a lot of the those scenes they had to slow down 
Yeah. How wild is that? Are you serious? Yeah. Because yeah. most martial artists, like yeah. a lot of martial arts films are sped up and he's yeah. one of the rare. Oh, that's insane. I just, I loved watching him on screen. Isn't he yep. just beautiful to watch those movements and just like, so oh, that scene precision. though really is, yeah. That scene is spectacular though because of the pacing and that mm-hmm. that sort of build up of tension. I completely agree, Paul. And it's funny. It's like there's, uh, there's another actor in the film, the character plays Sue, who is like essentially the nominal, James Tien, and he's the nominal lead for a while. Like he's, mm, he's yeah. the first act with James Tien as the lead of the movie. And Bruce Lee's like, a supporting yeah. character kind of mm. hovering around him. And then, yeah. Yeah. I saw him more as like the moral compass. Yeah. yeah. But but he's kind of, you know, he's the leader in this group. He's this sort of, the, you know, he's kind of the guy that Bruce Lee is looking to for leadership. And mm. yeah, it's it's an interesting structure. Um, but Low Way really seems to know, and and how much of this, I mean, I think in terms of fight choreography, I, I would think that Bruce Lee, probably did most of the work but in terms of camera it'd have to be low way and i think the two of them in collaboration although they reportedly had their many differences um he knows how to block and stage a fight Mm. scene for camera and to get the most out of lee and his fellow performances the cast Mm. are all really fun Mm -hmm. um if uh if anything um yeah i think the frisson between lee and his co-star maria yi is really adorable like i really love their their relationship um and it gets the mix of action, humor, and relationships right. As you say, Sel, it does take a little while to get to the fighting. Um, and I think the pacing flags a bit in the back end, like of the second act, like just mm-hmm. before the, the final act. Like it has this great build early, and yep. then this it settles in and goes really, and then it sort of flags for probably about ten minutes or so, and then we're into mm-hmm. the, the good stuff at the end. Um, but it's um, yeah, it's moments like that vow breaking moment where you're literally cheering uh, that. Yeah that uh delivers and you know they get the whole you know he gets seduced by the whole lifestyle and you know like because he tries to kind of help his worker friends and then you know the bosses quite rightly it's it's funny because we're sitting there watching it going i'd probably just offer him a job if i were the bosses and then the next scene that's exactly what they do it's like (laughs) this is great i love it when a film does goes exactly where you want it to in a good way when it's when it's thought of the things um yeah so that um yeah, I think it's a perfect star vehicle to launch Bruce Lee, and he's incredibly likable and obviously incredibly charismatic. And um, also, how good is it when he kicks that guy through the wall and there's a shape of a body <laughs> to it? Just, <laughs> just got to give that a bit of a nod because that was a pretty epic moment, Looney Tunes style. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, there was a bit of a fight about that on the set. Apparently, Bruce Lee wasn't happy with it. I can I can see why. I mean, as a viewer, I really enjoyed it, but I can see why someone would be going, nah, it's not. Yeah. Bruce was like, no, (laughs) this is not. But yeah, um, yeah, I think this is uh, yeah, it was a great, great way to launch his career. And yeah, I think I think of all of the things, I think I did not expect the story to be the thing Mm. that drew me in 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 a martial arts film. And the thing that's important to realize too, like the the sort of the martial arts of the kung fu wuxia genre was only really born about five years earlier yeah. with, with films like Come Drink With Me in, in 1966. Um, so it's still a relatively new uh, – I mean, they pumped out heaps of them. Shaw Brothers mm. in particular had pumped out heaps of them in the previous five years. And then uh, producer Raymond Chow broke – he was a producer at Shaw Brothers – broke from Shaw Brothers to form his own company called Gold, Golden Harvest, 
who became a rival studio to to Shaw Brothers. And one of the main reasons Golden Harvest were able to take on Shaw Brothers on a sustained basis was because of these movies. Mm. Uh, Bruce Lee, essentially, if New Line Cinema was the house that Freddie built, then Golden (laughs) Harvest was the house that Bruce built. Um, yeah, yeah, that's such a, that's a good analogy. I I um I love the fact as well that you can see the the markers of of um of cinematic history as well in these yes. early films, and yeah. then just like little moments where you're like that now has become commonplace, but at the yep. time was really inventive. And I just love those little nuggets throughout it, and we'll see it in the, in the next few films we're talking about as well. We will indeed. So <laughs> The Big Boss is now available to stream on SBS On Demand. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. And just prior to that station announcement, you heard the main theme for the only major Bruce Lee film we won't be reviewing tonight, but I had to play it because it's so damned iconic, the main theme to Enter the Dragon, composed by Lalo Schifrin. Um, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to uh, correct a, uh, a bit of a, a slight blunder I made, a, a nerdy blunder, if you will. The Big Boss was not the 22nd film directed by Lo Wei. It was the 39th. <laughs> there are about 17 that I just conveniently missed there. Uh, so now that we've got that out of the way, uh, please join us by the electronic device of your choice for the second film of the evening. He's unstoppable. Unbeatable. Unbelievable. He's Bruce Lee, the master of karate, kung fu, delivering that Chinese connection. I've, uh, you might notice too, rather than play scenes from the films, I've chosen tra- like tra- uh, cl- trailer clips, particularly from the US releases of the films, because I just, I love it. I love programming this like it's a triple feature at a, at a, <laughs> grindhouse cinema somewhere anyway (laughs) that's a weird obsession of mine fist of fury from 1972 was the second film as a martial arts star for bruce lee and the 42nd film directed by lo wei that's correct uh chen jin yeah i think so uh, as uh, imdb tells me uh chen jin bruce lee returns to the international compound of china only to learn of his beloved teacher's death this is compounded by the continual racist harassment by the Japanese population in the area, particularly a uh, nearby jiu-jitsu dojo. Unlike his friends, he confronts it head-on with his mastery of martial arts while investigating his teacher's murder. Sally, now, your uh, thoughts that you expressed earlier in the show about your life being wasted to this point and that uh, you uh, couldn't believe you'd never done this to now and from now your life will be changed. You sent me a text regarding this <laughs> after <laughs> watching Fist of Fury in particular. What was it about Fist of Fury that left you forever changed? And well, Fist of Fury was the first one of the three that I watched on mm-hmm. the weekend. So th- this was the first one that I watched. And I was just, it just blew my mind. I was just like, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. That's, I'm exaggerating, but I was just like, oh my goodness, I can't, what have I, what have I been doing? But 
This of the three films is, I guess, probably the most serious and sombre one of the of the three, except perhaps at the start when he's grieving over his master and he's grieving so much they have to hit him over the head with a shovel at the, <laughs> at the funeral. But um, I, I just thought this film... You know, the action, the fight scenes and everything were incredible, but I thought it was a really beautifully crafted film in every sense. Like I just found it completely breathtaking. It really, really took me by surprise. I just thought cinematography in it was just gorgeous. The set designs in it were beautiful. I just loved everything about it. I just thought it was a perfect, perfect film. Um yeah, it just, yeah, really was not what I was expecting, to be honest. Um, this one got into the the, the fights pretty quickly. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, they're, like we were saying before, the choreography with them is just absolutely incredible. And, again, his, I, I guess, acting skills surprised me as well because, he, you know, I mean, I went into these kind of assuming that, it would be, you know, he'd kind of be a one-trick pony with things. But I, I think he, he's really amazing and charismatic and totally captivating on screen. That Yeah, loved it. Yeah, I, I really, um, it was nice returning to these films um, ages after I've seen them and just being um, still swept up in Bruce Lee's uh, on-screen charisma. He really mm. is, he's a real charmer. Um, and also just got like, it's, I think that whole thing of just seeing someone these fights are just amazing. Like you could just you could do like a super cut of just the fights, and I'd happily watch that for like. It's six absolutely hours. <laughs> like watching the fight sequences in this one in particular were completely riveting. Like yeah. just so riveting to see on screen. It was like easily the most exciting thing I've seen on screen this year. Like Fist of Fury, I just absolutely wow. adored it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I loved it. In like in as much as you say in terms of like the other ones, but maybe I've watched it after. Um, I watched it last night actually with some friends after yesterday's good news. So I did was a few yep. cocktails in and um, <laughs> maybe not paying as much much uh, much detail as I should have been. But um, and there's something that stood out to me and like this is um I've been wanting to do a special on Bruce Lee for ages and I was so happy when we were all like yeah let's let's make this happen because mm-hmm. I got really into watching the Ip Man films at the start of uh, the lockdown oh, start of lockdown I think it was mm-hmm. anyhow lo- I can highly recommend all of the Ip Man films and Ip Man um, even the one where he fights Mike Tyson <laughs> All of them. No, I, just enjoy, I, I just enjoy them. Like, I, mean, I just think that they're, I just love fight films. And I think that it's so fascinating watching a body do these sorts of things on screen. Mm. And, um, you know, something that stood out to me, both in If Man and in Fist of Fury, is that the kind of the role that cinema plays in capturing sometimes knowledge of a place that you just wouldn't otherwise have. And of course it's like presented and romanticized in a certain way. And like, they're both very nationalistic films, Mm. but I really didn't, uh, it just made me aware of my own ignorance. Like I really didn't know enough about the, um, Sino-Japanese um, war for the um, between um, yeah Japan and, and China from 1937 to 1945, and I had to even look up those dates because I was like, this whole history was mm. I just didn't learn about when yeah. I in at school, and I was just found it really fascinating. It kind of pushed me to learn more about it. And these films, I mean, like you could argue that they're kind of like propaganda, but it was it's so interesting because um, just like there's so many moments in that film, and it is way more serious than a lot of the other films we're going to be talking about this tonight but yeah I think that really stood out to me that kind of um the way in which 
that the performance of these bodies, it's not just that Bruce Lee really kind of brought over this style of fighting to the West and like became popularized on the Western screens. It's actually that there wasn't these sorts of representations on screen. So like, it's interesting Mm. that we're not only learning a bit about um, Chinese history and Japanese history, but also thinking about the way in which Asian men are traditionally presented on screen mm. in these really negative and usually effeminate ways. And it's kind of, um, yeah, it just kind of stood out to me this week. It was really refreshing having a spotlight and presenting particularly like um, a Chinese, me- well, Asia- American Chinese man in this way where he's really like, you know, the, the action hero. I I thought that really, it just stood out to me. I mean, I grew up watching a lot of these films and being obsessed with them. So I think, um, yeah, I just, it's something that I I wanted to touch upon. Yeah. Well, the male, male um, uh, Asian action hero was still a new concept uh, Mm. at this point. Um, I mean, obviously like Japan had worked in noir and all this sort of thing, but, but in terms of, like I said, like the Kung Fu slash the, um, and particularly the wuxia genre, which is the kind of thing where we think about films like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with, you know, people that, you know, uh, hop on trees and, and sword fight and all that sort of thing was really born in the mid sixties. And then come 1970 uh, with uh, an actor named Jimmy Wong Yu and a film called The One-Armed Swordsman um, was, oh, sorry, was that 68 maybe? Um, he was the first, because the weird thing is the first clutch of, of, of um, Kung Fu and, and sort of martial arts type movies in China and Hong Kong were led by women. Um, there's a famous film from 1966 called Come Drink With Me that has a, a female action hero lead led by um, um, uh, Pei Pei, Chang Pei Pei. Um, and so the, for a while, it was it was women-led action films because because women were the main audiences, and and so it was like let's make a, a an action genre that gets men in, but also still appealing to women and has women leads. Oh, and then wow. with Jimmy Wong Yu coming in, he was the first male Asian action hero. And then Bruce Lee was a couple of years after that. Mm-hmm. So it's still a new archetype, and this whole thing of Asian men represented on screen, and particularly this is one reason. There's a great doco that screen at MIF last year in 2019 called um, Iron Fists and Kung Fu Kicks. I highly recommend oh, I remember you telling us everybody see this. Yeah. yeah. Any fan of the genre, or even if you're not, because it gives a, an awesome historical background to how these films came to be and then how they became popular around the world, particularly in America, because there's so much in these films that Asian Americans recognize. It was like, we're being taken seriously. We're not the butt of the jokes. We've not the servants. We're not effeminate. We're not. And, and, and so they really embrace them and African-American neighborhoods really embrace them as well as this kind of, because, and if you look at the fight scenes, particularly in this movie and, and the, and the big boss, you could see a lot of the origins of breakdancing. Yeah, yeah. In in Kung Fu Especially, yeah. And I was thinking um, especially Way of the Dragon. Yeah, Yeah. and that's the thing. So they, and breakdancing, you know, there's a reason Grandmaster Flash is called Grandmaster Flash. There's a reason the Wu-Tang Clan of the Wu-Tang Clan. It's because this has all come Mm. from this. Um, A little bit of a sidebar there. (laughs) That was fascinating, Paul. That was great. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, see the doco, it's awesome. But, but yeah, but in terms of, of, Bruce Lee being this this sort of lead, um, uh, yeah, it just further, it, it's he, he's just this coiled um, 
like <laughs> co- uh, um, like this uh, coiled blast of rage throughout the whole movie. Like he's just constantly flexing and ready to just destroy <laughs> everything at his path, which is hilarious. Like he's a, his character is a hothead. Like he gets everyone yeah. in trouble. He, he ends up causing so much death. I I love that. He's like, it's funny that you both said this is the more somber of the three. And yet I think it's also, I mean, maybe toe to toe with way of the dragon. It's the craziest. Like, oh yes. It's not crazy nuts. stuff yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Um, and one right of them from is, the get go. It's, it's, yeah. it's saying, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Jumping on the, on the coffin and banging mm-hmm. at it and having to be smacked yep. over the head with a shovel to subdue him <laughs> to the fact that he's the hero. He's absolutely the hero of the movie. There's no question. But it's also the closest we'll ever get to. We ever got to see Bruce Lee play a serial killer on screen. Yeah, and I love that. Mm. Like literally hanging people from lampposts yeah. around the city. Like, like yeah, um, the Kung Fu Zodiac, <laughs> <laughs> um, Kung Fu Son of Sam. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, yeah, the, the the fight scenes in this are incredibly. Again, Lo Wei and Bruce Lee working together great blocking and staging and camera. There's a couple of moments. There's particularly, there's one fight that happens in a dojo where Bruce is standing in the middle and all the um, Japanese martial artists start circling him and the camera is on a crane and begins to tilt. And I swear to God, Bruce Lee spent a year on the Green Hornet, which was from the same producers as Batman and was in three episodes of Batman. And I look at that and I'm like, yeah. Tell me this was not an influence. Like it's like it looked like a fight. Like mm. when when Batman and Robin are about to fight villains, and the camera goes on a Dutch tilt, and you've got this. Like it felt mm. like that, mm. which is which kind of fascinated me. Also, a lot of moves that Bruce Lee does that like feel like uh, they give me a lot of Michael Jackson vibes. Yes, like Michael Absolutely. Jackson is totally like the even down to the you know the black shoes and the white socks mm. and shuffling <laughs> towards doors and things like yeah. that. Um, just the small ways that that he was a ridiculous influence on culture in general. It's it's mind blowing. Um, and yeah, I like the way that this touches on the racism that that um, that the Chinese faced under Japanese rule. Um, and again, flick same. I didn't know anything about that either mm. until this. But the whole like the sign that he's presented with um, that his dojo like the Japanese dojo. And this very annoying Japanese translator, uh, Chinese translator, who's like constantly like getting under everyone's skin. And it's like, dude, if any, if any, not even Bruce Lee, if any of these people got a hold of you for five seconds, they tear you in part. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he's, he's able to stand there and slap Bruce around the face because he's got this, you know, army behind him. The sign they present Bruce Lee's dojo with is um, the sick men of East Asia, which was, a quote that kept being applied it was applied to an emperor um, who was in decline um, from a previous dynasty. And, and it was so, so this traditional quote that, that um, was used to beat China with mm-hmm. that you are the sick men of East Asia. So even that, that quote has a lot of, um, has a lot of um, resonance mm-hmm. and the great moment where he's, he wants to go into the, the gardens and it says no dogs yeah. or Chinese. Yeah. And he literally kicks the sign off the wall and punches it in half. Just yeah. wonderful <laughs> rousing moments like that. But yeah, I think, um, and I think his co-star Nora Meow also makes a really strong impression mm. as a much needed counterpoint to, yep. to Mr. Vengeance. Yeah, I thought she was great. <laughs> really liked her. Um, 
And I think it struggles at times to read. Like it has a pamphlet of a story and goes for 108 minutes. But uh, and so it does struggle at times to, to to cover that. But it doesn't, Paul. Every second of perfect. it was really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm wrong. I concede. It's a it's a perfect film. Look, it is wild, snap kicking, nunchucking fun, um, and it has one of the greatest final gestures in film history. The very last thing that happens in the film is just like amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't want to spoil it for you. So Fist of Fury is currently streaming on SBS On Demand and Amazon Prime Video. You are now listening to Triple uh, Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. You're back on Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. And just prior to our sponsor announcement, you heard the main theme to the film we just reviewed, Fist of Fury, composed by Joseph Koo. Now, please join us in the living room for the final film of our spotlight on Bruce Lee. Lee, unmerciful. <laughs> Against the dragon, even the best are better off dead. The Way of the Dragon from 1972 is the first and only completed feature film written and directed by Bruce Lee. Tang Lung, Bruce Lee, arrives in Rome to help his cousins in the restaurant business who are being pressured to sell their property to a crime syndicate who stop at nothing to get what they want. When Tang arrives, he poses a new threat, and they are unable to defeat him through hiring the best Japanese and European martial artists to fight him. But he easily finishes them off, at least until the final battle, when he uh, in the middle of Rome's Colosseum, with an adorable sorcerer-eyed cat watching on, he will face the boss's last challenge, an American fighter played by Chuck Norris, who just might push Tang Lung to his brink. Flick. Uh, how did you find The Way of the Dragon? <laughs> I'm so glad you picked out that particular scene because I think that is the obvious highlight. Um, there's a little bit in that scene when, you know, these two fighters are about to, you know, gladiators as they were, go to, like, fight one another. And this, yeah, tiny little kitten is between them. And then the thing that kind of sets them into action is that tiny little kitten meows, but it sounds like a grown man kind of meowing, screaming. So I just thought it was such a bizarre, bizarre setup. I know the whole film, I think the whole film was redubbed, right? Like I don't think any of it actually had a sound recording. I think that they went back and, and did it. So it kind of fits that they were like, oh, we don't have a cat meowing. We'll just get a grown man to meow, meow, yell at um, Chuck and, and Bruce. Wow. <laughs> It's such a weird little film, isn't it? Um, this is easily the funniest of the three we're talking about tonight. Um, a lot of comedy. Um, I love that it really showcases, like we've said before, Bruce Lee's kind of like on-screen charisma and um, there's a real playfulness about this film. Um, I was super keen to watch the big fight. I hadn't seen this one before and so just having the the um, fight between Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris I was really excited about. There's a fantastic moment in which they... Um, 
Uh, I suppose actually one thing I wanted to say just briefly is we were talking before about this idea of like the representation of Asian men on, on screen and when we had like the little bracket there, I was thinking, you know, one thing that's really stood out is the physicality in his performance is so interesting seeing him paired against Chuck Norris. Like Chuck Norris has this really such a different body type to him and the way in which it's played out between them, and I, I'm a massive fan of um, MMA, and um, I found it really interesting how Lee actually does this kick in um, during that fight called the oblique kick, and um, it's now used a lot by, like, mixed martial artists today. So I just thought it was, like, really cool, like, wow. little fun fact if you're into that sort of stuff. Um, but the fight scenes are really what you're hanging out for. Again, I think the plot is really strong in this one. I did like all the little characters. Um, this the, There's this great moment when, um, the you know, like a lot of the plot points are so obvious, but there's this great moment when the translator, again, another kind of like weedy translator, um, just calls up America. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, operator, can I please have America? And, of course, <laughs> like the icon of America, Chuck Norris. So, um, oh, look, I had a lot of fun. I just watched this this afternoon, so I'm still buzzing from it. Um, yeah, great fun. Um, yeah, this one I was my, my least favourite oh, of the really? three. Yeah, I did, of course, I really enjoyed it. It was great. But um, I'm sitting there even just hearing you talk about it, Flick, like how ridiculous the comedy is, isn't it? Like yeah. just right from the get-go. And going into this film, I felt really misplaced. I was like, where am I? What's happening? <laughs> Why am I in Rome? What's going on? Um, but then, you know, you kind of just roll with it. I, I did love <laughs> one scene at the start where he uh, is, um, he's just arrived in Rome and he just gets picked up by this gorgeous woman and then yeah. he just runs away. <laughs> also, like how funny that like all of the, um, all of the women in these, um, all the, sorry, all of the women in his films are always just like, loving him straight off the bat yes. like straight yes, away <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah, yeah he's just being flirted with by this beautiful italian woman and um, instantly yeah straight away straight as soon as he sits down <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though because like the women in the film are actually often like pretty cool like yeah. like you yes. know they have to run into fights and you know they're yep. ass kicking and they're really independent and they're really but yeah but they have that caveat that they must fall in. But, yeah, but they <laughs> love him. But, um, yeah, so it, it was, it felt like a really different experience to the other two. And also I, I know that Lee uh, has directed this film. It didn't feel as um, refined as the other two to me. I found them to be really, like, beautiful pieces of cinema, uh, while this was more of a fun piece of cinema and ridiculous. Like when the whole Chuck Norris thing at Coliseum, I was just like, oh, my God, are you serious? This is really going to happen. But it's so good. It's so much fun. Also, how hairy is Chuck Norris? Oh, yeah. when he rips the chest hair off. <laughs> but um, and another thing that I really enjoyed about this film was the gangsters because they roll into the restaurant and they just um, look like a bunch of, they're, they're, they're the shittiest looking gangsters. <laughs> I was like, this can't be them. But it is. So this one is a whole, whole heap of fun. Um, but really I felt this was very, very different to the big boss of Fist of Fury. Um, yeah, I really felt like, because Lee and uh, Chuck Norris were, good friends weren't they yes. yeah so yeah it really feels like he's gone okay mate i'll write a part for you and it's gonna be this big part in the end and we'll just throw it in there um yeah it really does feel like that but it's still a hell of a good time yeah 
Yeah, it's it's very much a different person behind the camera, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, I gotta say this was. It's a matter of degrees because I really liked all of them, but this is probably my least favorite of the three. Like, like I think they're all like three and a half star movies, but this is, yeah, mm. I, I feel like um, this one here. It's an intriguing insight into Bruce Lee himself and how he saw himself and his star persona developing. Yeah. Like he's kind of t- he's moved away from the like the self righteous angry young man we see in Fist of Fury, and he's kind of playing something closer to the big boss, but even broader in terms of. Well, not broader. Just that's the thing. His performance is not broad in this. It's actually quite interesting. It's. it's I thought it's, that out of the three as well. I thought this was the one where his performance was lacking the most, and it felt um, like yeah, there's something that I, yeah, it just it it felt a little bit off for me. Yeah, I th- and I think it's you know like he plays a lovable bumpkin who sort of arrives to protect his uncle. Spends seems to spend half the film asking where the toilets are. I know, and <laughs> as soon as it started, he said it twice. And I, I said to my partner, I was like, "Okay, this is going to be his gag for the film." Yeah. Where's the toilet? Where's the toilet? <laughs> I always need to go to the toilet. Not that funny. <laughs> yeah, and good-naturedly slapping his friends around as he trains them into a kung fu kicking army. And that's the thing. I like. I think he's charming. I think the, the silly knockabout feel of the film is quite infectious, but I think a lot of the jokes do fall flat. I had some, I, I don't know about the clearly gay villain. I think he's very questionably portrayed. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, yeah, and totally. there's, and there's far too much of the dreaded boing sound effect. Uh, I'd say I, I, re- so I really boings. like the villains in this. I like the, I like the, like, yeah. I thought he was funny, but it's just like, uh, and yeah, they're, they're like, they're a fun bunch of villains, but the cinematography and production design's a bit slapdash as well, particularly yeah. early. There's a mm. scene in a restaurant, uh, in an airport restaurant, that looks like it was dashed off in an afternoon by Herschel Gordon Lewis. Like, it's it does, just like, doesn't it? It's way overlit. There's tons of shadows. There's like nothing in the background. And it also made me feel quite sick, like a Herschel Gordon Lewis yes. as well. Like we just with all that soup. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Just as a point, though, how confronting is that bit where that um, woman at the airport is just staring yes. at him as though he's an object? I actually thought that, I mean, the film is ridiculous. I, I yeah. completely agree. But that moment actually was pretty powerful because it goes for a while. It's just this it woman staring at him, looking at him as though, like, what are you? You're some weird creature. Yeah. Yeah. And it pretty um, much opens up yeah. with that as well. Like, that's yeah. that's the the opening shot. Yeah. Mm. And, and just seeing his discomfort, like he tries to mm. move his body around. And, and he's trying to be good natured about it, yeah. but it's like it's clearly yeah. something's off here. Yeah, that, mm. that was that was quite interesting. Um, it sort of starts funny and then gets awkward and yeah. it yeah. sort of goes beyond. Um, I think the script also springs like this rather silly late game twist that makes no sense whatsoever and it's too little too I, late. Yeah, I was trying to work that out. I was like, did I miss a section of this film? No, like, it was just like, oh, and by the way... <laughs> It's like Scooby Doo. It's like they pulled the mask. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But the crown and glory of the film, the reason we're all here. I mean, is that final showdown? Mm. And that is perfection. That entire show, like like holding it at the Coliseum, is perfection. Having these two, because I mean, Chuck Norris was a seven-time karate champion in America, not a movie guy yet. And as you said before, they were friends. And I think it's Lee has sort of brought him in and gone, "We'll introduce you to a new audience." And, you know, because he gets the most respect of anyone Lee fights in any of the movies. Mm. It's the longest fight of any of the movies. Like, he's the person that pushes Bruce Lee, the, Bruce Lee's character the most in any of the films. It's really, it's really cool. Like, it actually does him a lot of justice. 
Um, and it's really spectacular. And that cat is adorable. And not enough people mention that cat when talking about this scene. The cat gets its own crash zoom, people. Yeah. Okay. How great should. is that? Actually, something that stood out to me, just because we, we did the Epic special ages ago, was all of those um, close-ups of the eyes, of course, in Good, Bad and the Ugly. But yeah, I thought of that too man. when I was watching this, yeah. yeah. How good are the standoffs? Yeah, that's, I think it's a bit of Spaghetti Western influence. I mean, even the opening themes are very Spaghetti Western-like for Fist of Fury and Way of the Dragon. Mm. And I think the build-up choreography coverage and progression of that final battle are as thrilling as advertised and perhaps the most striking stamp of what Lee brought to the table as a filmmaker mm. um and i think in that one sequence we see bruce lee in a fashion conquer america which we do for real pop culturally soon with enter the dragon launch an american martial arts star in norris and springboard his own career into the stratosphere with his biggest hit to that point and all on his terms and that's very cool so Enter the Dragon. Oh, not Enter the Dragon. That's uh, that's that's another thing. You can check that out uh, on your own time. Way of the Dragon is now available to stream on SBS On Demand. You're listening to Primal Screen. You are listening to 102.7 Triple R. And now what you must do is take a butter knife from your family drawer, cut off your dog's leg with it. <laughs> Flick, put the butter knife down. Uh, <laughs> you've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. On tonight's ISO Spotlight on Bruce Lee, we reviewed The Big Boss, Fist of Fury, and The Way of the Dragon, all now streaming on SBS On Demand. Fist of Fury can also be found streaming on Amazon Prime Video. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the Primal Screen page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Join us next week for a surprise, even to us, as we have no idea (laughs) what we'll be seeing. (laughs) Our social media channels will reveal the titles we'll be digging into. So search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to check them out this coming weekend to find out. A huge thank you to Tyler Deglish for guest editing the Primal Screen podcast. Killer Carl Chapman for paneling and providing producing assistance for our show as always. It's a good night from us, but keep listening to Triple R. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 